0: The Lord's Prayer itself should be just its own preaching time, Um, because we could spend probably a whole weekend just on that. But um, I agree with Eric, it is good to be here this morning with you all, it's always good to be with you all, and I hope that I can project enough so that you can hear me. If not, I'll look something like this. So, there you go. Um, to introduce this, I want to give just a little, a little story from a book uh, called Hold Swept" Sweat by Tim Hansel. Just a short story. And it will kind of hmm, encapsulates in some ways what this is really about. One day, my son Zach and I were out in the country climbing around on some cliffs. I heard a voice above me call, Hey, Dad, catch me. Ever been there? I turned around and I I saw Zach joyfully jumping off a rock straight at me. He had jumped and then yelled, Hey, Dad. (laughs) I became an instant circus act, catching him. We both fell to the ground. For a moment after I caught him, I could hardly talk. When I found my voice again, I gasped. Exasperation, and I said, Can you give me one good reason why you did that? (laughs) He responded with remarkable calmness Sure, because you're my dad. His whole assurance was based on the fact that his father was trustworthy. He could live life to the hilt, jump off the cliff, call for me because I could be trusted. Isn't this even more true for a Christian? This passage is going to deal with father. And father in a remarkable way. In Psalm 103, we read, as the Lord shows compassion like a father. Jesus is going to change that a little bit, okay? But let's start reading, and and see what our text brings us. <laughs> and when you pray, so the assumption is we're going to pray, which is what I like about the Sermon. Just yeah, I know you're going to pray. Jesus just assumes that you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be seen by others. So it's important to know in this that prayer for the, uh, for the Jews, for the Hebrews, Jews, uh, was several times a day. Um, in the morning, early in the morning, the devout Jew would, would uh, recite the Shema, which is from Deuteronomy 6. 11 and he in Numbers 15. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one God, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. Okay? And then at nine in the morning, at noon, and at three in the afternoon, they would recite the what's called the eighteen benedictions. So in Acts chapter three, verse one, Peter and John go to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon because they're devout Christians now, okay? So according to Jewish custom, if you're in streets at the time, it was proper to stop, turn towards the temple. And apparently, hypocrites, remember what hypocrite means? It's an actor, stage actor. The hypocrites would plan their day so they would be in some Conspicuous place when it was time to pray. On a busy street, corner, or someplace else, they would lift their hands to God and display their devotion to everybody passing by. Now, this is, is, so this is what they do. And Jesus says, No, do not do that. You can pray in public, but when you do it, it's not a show for you. And this is what's really interesting about this passage. That word "seen," so that it might be seen by others. Here's a here's a literal dictionary definition. It means to shine or to produce light. Shine to become visible, to appear. That's what she is saying. Jesus is saying prayer is not a time for you to shine because prayer is not about you. Prayer is about our heavenly Father. And if it's about you and your time to shine, you're just nothing more than an actor. And your reward would just be seen by other people. That's all it's going to be. So here's my question. What do we do about public prayer? I pray in public. I pray in restaurants. In fact, I think if we went to a restaurant and we did not pray, my kids would be like, Mom, what's wrong with Dad? What's wrong with Dad? How come they're not praying? But I pray because of Romans 16, which says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. We're really focusing on that verse in our D group to encourage us to be who we are for Christ. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. So when I go on to pray, we pray at table, it's not what I call prayer evangelism, hoping that other people look at us so to other Christians we can shine. And to people who aren't Christians, it's an evangelistic message. No, we pray because we pray, because I'm a child of God, God's our Father, and we're grateful. That's what it is. We're not ashamed of the gospel. So that's the first part that Jesus says. Um, Don't worry about how you shine. <clears throat> Truly, I say to you, they've received their recognition. Remember that word, word rec- reward means recognition and the word truly means absolutely that's they they've already got it they've got all their applause so if from prayer all you want is applause and recognition shine but if you want god to answer your prayer to hear your prayer then don't worry about shining now what's interesting and and I know everything sounds <clears throat> I wish I could speak louder I put the U there in big, big, big U, okay? If I said, would you please stand, how many people would stand? If I said, would you please stand, who would stand? Okay, see the problem in English? (laughs) The English is, thank you guys, thank you. I know, you thought I was messing with you and I kind of was. but, But here's my point. In the English, you can't distinguish between you all and you. In the Greek, you can. So, in the first part, it was you all. When you all go out to pray, when you all go out to dinner, when you all are walking on the streets, don't worry about shining. But here's a big, big, big change. That's why I put the U in big letters there. It is singular. So what I want you to do in your Bibles is to put this. But when you pray, and then I want you to just write in your Bibles, when you pray, Stuart, when you pray, Bonnie, when you pray, Cindy, when you pray, Eric, when you pray, I want to tell you, you're talking to me. Jesus is talking to you personally, you personally. And this gets even more personal. But when you pray, go into your room, Stuart, and shut your door and pray to your father, stuart Not like a father, but a father, okay? The Old Testament, God is likened to a father, like a father. Psalm 103, we read it earlier. But here, all of a sudden, God is our father who is in secret. And your father, twice, who sees in secret, will reward you. That word father in Greek, they don't really have a Greek, Greek equivalent to what it really would be in Aramaic, which is what the language Jesus would spoke. So a lot of people say Jesus most likely used the word Abba, which is a very personal term. In Arabic, my, my son and daughter speak Arabic, they're missionaries in the Middle East. Um, the word is, uh, A similar word is Baba, and my, my granddaughters call me Baba. I absolutely love it. Because the word Baba is a term of closeness. Julius said, now they'll use that word for, it means father, but they'll use it for grandfather. And they'll even use it for an uncle if they're really close. They'll be Baba. Because it's a term that you're close and it's a term that you trust. You trust that person. So all of a sudden, Jesus is saying, God isn't like a father, God is your big Y-O-U, your father, Stuart. Your father, Bonnie. Your father, Seth. Your good father. I'm, I hope you grew up with good fathers. If you haven't, I want you to learn who your good father is. Because you can talk with God. So, And then it says, what you're to do is you go into your room. And really, what that means is an inner room, is what the word means. in In homes... In the area, most homes didn't have more than a couple rooms at the most. And maybe they had one closet. And that one closet, and that's what that term room means, a closet room, uh, was used to store valuables or stuff for their animals or tools. And they're to go in there so that all distractions were put aside so they could talk to their father. Now, when I was in college, I was involved with a group called InterVarsity, which is a worldwide organization, Christian Fellowship, and they were really big on quiet times. I was like, quiet times? And they said, no, quiet times is when you get alone, and you read Scripture, and you pray, and it's just you and God. And I so loved that, that, um, that it just changed the way I did things forever on. And when I go on retreats with kids, with adults, I always set aside quiet times. So um, for the last probably, oh, wow, probably 25 years of my life, I've gone on mission trips down to Kentucky with adults and youth. And we always have 30 minutes of quiet time. And for some people, it's the first time in their lives that they've ever done it. And they kind of say, okay, uh, we're not going to get right to our job. And they're like, yeah, we've got a lot of work to do. Say I know, but first we have to be alone with our Father. And you're not allowed to talk to anybody. You're not allowed to talk on your phone. You're not allowed to be close. You have to be quiet and pray and read. And it's really an amazing time. I want to share with you and then get on to our next point, but this is an important um, story from a Christian magazine that a woman wrote. She said, as a child... I was captivated by Jesus' words in Matthew 6, 5 through 6. In the wee ranch where I grew up, my bedroom was my sanctuary, but my real inner sanctum, the only space that made me feel uninhabited to unload my angst towards God and my, uh, was, uh, was my closet. Crouched in its dark, tiny confines, I'd spill tears of anger, words of confusion over childhood slights, and perceived parental wrongs. I took God literally at his word, going into the only secret place I had, trusting my heavenly Father, who saw my hidden heartbreaks, that he would meet me there. As I matured, I moved away from home. This habit fell by the wayside. After all, how convenient is a literal prayer closet uh, or in a dorm room or an apartment with a roommate or a shared house with a spouse? But several years ago, I rediscovered the, the power of closeted prayer. My husband was, rec- was recovering from a routine outpatient surgery that had unexpectedly revealed a suspicious tumor. That afternoon, my husband and I were scheduled to go back into the hospital for a follow up for the surgeon to review the pathology reports. As my husband slept downstairs on a recliner, I stood before our bedroom mirror struggling to make myself presentable for the upcoming physician visit. My stomach nodded with apprehension. My face haggard from worry. I was so overwhelmed with distress that I walked into our closet and I shut the door. I flung myself on the floor and I broke down in the darkness. God, God, I flailed. Help me. <coughs> I'm frightened. My husband has cancer. I'm so afraid of losing him. Somewhere between my flowing snot and convulsive sobs, God's presence filled that closet. His voice, inaudible, yes, but clearer than any sound I've ever heard, told me everything will be okay. That stunning and unexpected, powerful encounter left me almost dizzy. I rose, blew my nose, wiped away the tears from my face, and suddenly felt electrified by an unassailable sense of God's absolute control over my scary circumstances. God, God of the universe, had seen my distress in that secret place and chosen to personally comfort me. And although my husband's diagnosis turned out to be the one we, we, uh, that we dreaded, God generously restored my beloved to health, fulfilling what God had told me he would do in the secrecy of my closet. I will never forget that experience. Since then, whenever I need to process and pray uh, with candor, I'd feel comfortable sharing with others I'd share with God in the closet. I head towards my closet. There I momentarily shut out distractions and concentrate on seeking God alone in secret. So, my question for you with these verses is where's your closet? That's one question. The second question I have for you is how often do you go there? And it doesn't have to be a literal closet. I grew up in Lagoon Beach, California. You know where my favorite closet was? On a rock on the beach. But you need one. and You need to go there. Jesus continues. Now he's back to you, meaning all of you. Okay, back to the plural. And when you pray, so it's both singular and, I mean, both, if it's plural It's also singular because it means me because I'm part of you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. Two times, don't do this. For your father, very personal, knows what you need before you ask him. What's really interesting about this, the phrase, empty phrases, has a term that um, is not really known in Greek anywhere else. And I'm going to say the word in Greek. And it's a really long word, okay? It's bata loge Bata loge Jesus says, don't bage Don't Don't make up nonsense words is what he's saying. Don't don't think that you have to get the formula right. Don't think that you have to say, "Oh, what do I need to do to get God's attention? I'm not a good prayer." How many times have I heard that? "I'm not a good prayer." How many times have you told your father, "Dad, I don't really speak well." I've never told my dad that. If I didn't speak well, my dad knows. But this is what Jesus says. He says, it's an attitude of prayer. We don't have to convince God. It doesn't have to be the right formula. It doesn't have to be the right words. Don't make stuff up thinking that by making stuff up, God's going to go, oh, yeah, you got it now. Because if you hadn't gotten the right formula, I wouldn't have listened. I kind of think of what Jesus is saying here like kids wanting to go out to ice cream. How many of you have kids that like ice cream. When kids like ice cream, tell me if this is true. they think that more pleading and more repetition is going to convince you to go out for ice cream, right? "Oh, please, Dad, please, please, I'm going to die if we don't get it, Dad, you know And then, and then they think, "Oh, what else can I say to get my dad to take me to ice cream?" And you know what? Maybe it'll go, maybe you won't. But you're not going to do it because they begged you. Well, maybe you will. Because <laughs> you're tired of it. But that's not God. Okay, that's where we're not very much like God. Parents don't just give kids what they want because they can say it louder and longer. And that's what she is saying. So here's a, here's some things that I think are helpful to summarize this. We do not pray... To inform things, um, inform God of th- things unknown to Him. We're not doing. It. God already knows it. We're not praying to convince God of His duty. There's no convincing in prayer, which might make your prayers a little shorter, because you don't have to go on and on to convince God, urging Him as though He were reluctant. All good things come from God. God wants you to have all good things. You may not know what's good for you, just like our children don't know that eating their vegetables is good for them, right? Do I hear an amen for that? Okay, and I'm speaking as one who hates vegetables. We pray because it encourages us to seek our Father, our personal, close Father. Not God who acts like a Father, but our Father, our Baba, it builds our relationship with God. It encourages us to consider his promises because when we pray, it's important to know God's promises and go in there and say, God, you promise to take care of me. My husband's sick with cancer. Take care of me, God. Take care of him. Take care of her. Prayer relieves our anxiety as we pour out our hearts to God. That's what First Peter says. Cast all your anxieties upon him for he cares for you. Those are reasons why we pray, not to convince God. And finally, so that we might declare um, that from him alone, we have hope. From him alone, we receive all good things. So we tell people, it's, it's God. God is, our, is my Father, my Father, personal. And he gives me all good things. Now Jesus is going to go into the Lord's Prayer. Because disciples would be saying, or crowds would be saying, okay, that's good, that's great. So how am I supposed to pray then? Because I'm used to convincing God of what I need. I'm used to coming up with the right formula. So what do we do? So he goes into the Lord's Prayer. Now I'm going to give you, I can't, we cannot. We don't have the time to go deep into the Lord's Prayer. So I'm going to give you an overview and then uh, just focus on one or two things. So here's, here's the overview. Um, therefore, you should pray like this. First of all, there's, um, well, so this is what Jesus says. Oh, wait. Oh, those didn't come up. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I seem to be missing a slide. Oh, it's okay. So when we pray um, the Lord's Prayer, it's again the Lord's Prayer, okay? It's all of us. Um the Lord's Prayer is, is because it's plural. It's not our, my prayer. We, our generation has the iMac, the iPhone, the iWatch, the iCloud, the iPod. We take selfies, right? We have my pillow. We have my chart. We have a Facebook, but it's really my Facebook because my face on it and my history, and my education, and everything about me. And then we have my natural hair products. We have EE Health, my EE Health. And if your son goes or daughter goes to uh, to school, we have my Illinois State EDU. It's all about me. But when Jesus says the plural pronouns, this is our prayer, say our Father, he doesn't mean just that this is for everybody he means this is our prayer for us. Meadows, this is our prayer for us. One more thing that I want you to see. These are some general things. You cannot pray the Lord's Prayer and even once say, I. Read it. We'll see it in a minute. Two. Two. You cannot pray the Lord's Prayer and even once say, My, which is really interesting. Um, Yeah, I'll just keep going. Nor can you pray the Lord's Prayer and not pray for one another. Isn't that interesting? That's why it's our prayer, Meadows, because when we pray it, we're praying for each other here in this sanctuary. And when you ask for daily bread, you must include your brother or sister, right? Give us this day our daily bread. For others are included in each and every plea from the beginning to the end of it. It does not once say me. This is our prayer. So I just want to look at... uh, Two things real quick. First, there's seven imperatives in the Lord's Prayer. Seven things you absolutely should do when there's an imperative. It means you really should do this. Okay? (coughs) Sorry. Yeah, give me that real quick. Thank you to my lovely assistant. Um, Jesus starts off by by saying, um, to pray then like this. And that's the first imperative is to pray like this (coughs) Our Father. So I've already told you the importance of the term Father, right? But I want to give you a story and then move on. And this story tells you about the importance of that. (coughs) During the Civil War, a young soldier in the Union Army lost his um, older brother and father at the Battle of Gettysburg. The soldier decided to go to Washington, D.C. to see the President Lincoln, to ask him for an exemption from military service so that he could go back and help his sister and mother with the spring planting on the farm. When he arrived in Washington after having received a furlough from the military, To go, he pleaded his case. He went to the White House, approached the front gate, and asked to see the president. And this was the response. The guard guard on duty said, Can't you see there's a war going on? You cannot see the president. The president's a very busy man. Get back out there in the battle lines where you belong. So the young soldier left. He was disheartened. He found a park bench. And he sat down on the park bench, and a little boy came up to him. The little boy sat next to him and said, um, You look sad. What's wrong? And the soldier began telling him what had happened and how he wanted to get in the White House and ask President Lincoln for an exemption. The little boy listened. The little boy said, I can help you, soldier. He took the soldier by the hand and back to the front gate of the White House. Apparently, the guard didn't notice them because they were not stopped. They walked straight to the front door of the White House, and they walked right in. They got inside. They walked right past the generals and high-ranking officials, and no one said a word. The soldier could not understand this. Why didn't anyone try to stop them? Finally they reached the oval office when the president was working with the, li- the president was working the little boy didn't even knock on the door he just walked in and led the soldier in with him there behind the desk was abraham lincoln and the secretary of state looking over battle plans for the war the president looked at the boy and at the soldier and he said good afternoon todd can you introduce me to your friend? And Todd Lincoln, the son of the president, said, Daddy, this soldier needs to talk to you. The soldier pleaded his case before Lincoln, and right then and there, he received the exemption that he desired. You see how important it is that God is our Father? Listen to the words of Ephesians. But now in Jesus Christ, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. For through him we have access to God. When we pray our Father, we have complete access. Okay, one more, and then we're going to wrap it up with, with a few things at the bottom. Second one I just want to mention is give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgiveness is mentioned, with, he goes on and explains this, but it's, it's central to this, but I'm going to focus on daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. This not temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is our daily bread, not my daily bread. And when we pray for our daily bread, I'm saying something. So I want to tell you something about Mother Teresa, what she wrote. She said, I will never, this is somebody who lived, uh, is familiar with Mother Teresa. He said, I will never forget the night an old gentleman came to us and said that there was a family of eight children, and they had not eaten, and could we do something for them? So I took out some rice and went there. The mother took the rice from my hands. Then she divided it into two and went out. I could see the face of the children shining with hunger. When she came back, I asked her where she had gone. She gave me a simple answer. They are hungry also. And the they were the family next door. She knew they were hungry also. She knew in her suffering that the next door they, too, were hungry. The woman might not have known the Lord's Prayer, but she, would, but she did understand that there was only our rice, not my rice, which is the bread of India. Remember, this is with Mother Teresa. Bread is a gift. The one who prays for this affirms that all bread is a gift. The prayer for our bread includes our neighbors. It is our Father, and it's our bread. And so how do we do that, Medals, as a, as a church? And I think this is how we do it for us, although it can take many different ways we do it by um, support. But I think one way that we share our bread in our community is through hospitality. Invite people over to your house. Share your bread that way. People are hungry for fellowship. And bread brings us together. I'll never forget one of the earliest stories I found out about you, Meadows, was through Bonnie, of course. And she said, one of my memories, Stuart, is that my mom and dad always invited new people to our house for dinner. If they saw somebody new or recognized that they and maybe this was the second time they had visited always invited them over for dinner i thought wow this is because it's our bread and then finally a few takeaways but i'm going to look look at jesus commentary on the lord's prayer because he talked about forgive 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 and two other times he talked about forgive in the lord's prayer so six times in this is uh, is the lord's prayer and again, it's plural, so there's something we all have to do. And what's really interesting, it says, For if you forgive their trespasses. I don't like praying that way because I don't really understand trespass. It is absolutely a fascinating word in the Greek. In classical Greek, the verb is often used of intentional falling, like throwing yourself on the enemy. And in New Testament, it means a deliberate act of with serious consequences. But you can see why translations use the word trespass. Because it would sound funny if we said, for if you forgive others their intentional act, which has severe consequences, it just doesn't quite work, right? But I want you to understand something. That's what this word means. Forgive others who have intentionally done something to you, and that's what makes forgiveness hard, is it not? It's not an accident. Your husband spills the milk in the kitchen. Maybe that's happened a couple times. It's an accident. If Bonnie spills milk in the kitchen, and I come, and I say, you stupid idiot, what are you doing? Can't you watch out? That's intentional. For her to forgive me, it's going to be a lot harder because it was intentional. And if she does something to me, it's going to be harder because it is intentional. And Jesus says, look, you are to forgive those who intentionally hurt you because God forgives us when we intentionally hurt him. Don't think that your sin is It's just something that happened. Your sin is never a mistake. Your sin is always intentional, and it hurt Christ on the cross to forgive you. He understands how hard it is to forgive those who intentionally hurt you, and yet that's what we have to do. If someone hurts us, we have to forgive. If we hurt them intentionally or unintentionally, We have to ask for forgiveness. For if we don't forgive, then our heavenly Father's not going to forgive us. Why? Because Christ is in us, and if Christ is in us, you know what He wants to do? He's in us, and if He's in me, He wants to forgive you, just like He's forgiven me. And says, "If we don't forgive, near your Father, forgive your trespasses." Think of unforgiveness like a boa constrictor. You know how they kill their prey? By constricting, making it tight. When we don't forgive, we put that boa constrictor on the Holy Spirit. We begin to quench the Spirit. We begin to say, no, I'm not going to forgive like you forgave. I I wish I had a picture of a boa constrictor up there because you'd hate it. But I'm not going to forgive. And the quenching happens in our lives. And it happens to God. We begin to say, no, God. I'm going to strangle you, God. I'm not going to forgive. I know you want me to forgive. I know you forgave me. I know my sin was intentional. I know you forgave. I'm not going to do it. And we begin to quench out the spirit in our life to the point where we no longer want even forgiveness. When you are transformed, you will forgive because you've been forgiven. And when you realize what Jesus has done for you to become a vessel of that Holy Spirit and let the grace of God flow through you, you will forgive. I close with this quote and then three quick takeaways. This is a quote from John Stott. Not long before she died in 1988, in a moment of surprising candor in television. But Hatina Lasky, one of the best known, this has been a while ago, one of the best known secular humanists and novelists said, what I envy about you Christians is your forgiveness. I have no one to forgive me. Look around you. Look around you. This is our prayer. We intentionally hurt people. And we will forgive. Because Christ forgave us. My takeaways. Go to your inner room. When you're having a hard time forgiving somebody, go to your inner room. Pray. Let it all out. That's where your Father is. You don't have to have any special word. Just pray. Two. Who will you share prayer with this week? You've been praying for them. We just said the Lord's Prayer, right? In worship? That means you prayed for you prayed for the people that you will have bread with this week. So who will that be, and what will that look like? And then finally, forgive. Because if you don't forgive, that bowl constrictor begins to, unforgiveness like a bowl constrictor, begins to just quench the Holy Spirit's work in your life. Let us pray. Lord God, I give you thanks for your word. And I give you thanks that, even though we very intentionally sin against you, and even though forgiving that cost you your life, help us to forgive those who intentionally hurt us. Your grace is good. Help us to share bread, because you're our Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Ooh, that's hot. (laughs) Please stand as we respond to the word of